Hi, I'm Nora, and I love church. I would say the church for a long time has so insulated themselves. And when I say the church, I'm speaking in generalities. This might not be your church. This might not be your church experience. Um, but the church for in general for a long time has um, isolated and insulated themselves from the LGBT community by pretty much just not being in relationship with them in any capacity um, and or hardly any capacity outside of the capacity of judgment or saying you need to change to be here. Um, Certainly not unconditional love. That wouldn't be the experience of the LGBT community from the church historically. And so that lack of relationship leads to fear because you don't understand that person's perspective. You haven't heard where they're coming from. You don't know what their experience is. So you don't hear the stories. Yeah, defund the church, rebuild the kingdom. Ain't no doubt, time to wake up because the church walls shouldn't be there to keep people out. Yeah. Let's come together, ready for change, now is the time We are one unit that is under God, let's put it into the racial divide uh, I gotta scream it out louder, let's rebuild the kingdom from the ground up Bringing unity in the community and keep the Holy Spirit all around us yeah, yeah. Defund the church, let's go Welcome to the episode of Defund the Church. I'm Frank here with Pastor Justin Douglas of the Belong Collective, and we're so grateful you could join us tonight. If you haven't already, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other major podcast platforms. Uh, before we get into the topic for tonight on Defund the Church, Pastor uh, Justin, just let the listeners know why they should be listening to Defund the Church. Well, yeah, so obviously the title, and we've talked about this just about every episode, the title is a little bit uh, grabs your attention. Um, our hope is that the church could be a place where we begin to have the necessary conversations, where we begin to challenge ourselves, maybe look outside of ourselves, consider different perspectives. Ultimately, um, in a lot of ways, the church has kind of avoided tough, justice-oriented conversations or um even just conversations where the church disagrees on. And so, uh, so our hope is to kind of process some of that stuff here. Um, what we kind of were most passionate about to begin with before we brought it, brought it out was uh, racial reconciliation, racial justice, and, um, and just a desire to see the church own the places where it's failed and, and commit to grow, commit to learn, commit to have the conversation. And so we're starting that here. Uh, obviously, Frank and I are just, two guys doing our best to, to have a conversation, but, uh, but we're hopeful that this conversation can be a catalyst for you and your community to just consider how the church can grow um, even in its own failures in its own broken parts where it can grow. And so uh, we're all broken. We're all growing and hopefully the church can recognize that own it and continue to heal. So that's kind of what we desire to be. So welcome to this podcast. We cover different topics and, uh, we're excited to just share that with you. All right. Before I get into, actually, I'm just going to do a cold open with this. I'm going to read a scripture. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verse, verse 9 and 10. And I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard uh, Version of the Bible. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now, I'm, many of us have read that passage before. We've heard it in a sermon, heard it in church. Um, one of the topics we're going to be talking about tonight is 
are homosexual, people who practice homosexuality or people who are homosexual, are they in the kingdom of God? And I think that that's been a huge debate about what, what that means. And I know sometimes we get into, well, you got to lay hands on people and cast that out and, or people aren't born that way. They're, they're made, they're, they're, they're warped by the media. So um, I, I guess I want to open it up to, to you, Pastor, by saying what, by first answering that question, can homosexual people be in the kingdom? And then secondly, what has happened? Why is there such a demonization? Um, if the answer is yes, why is there such a demonization of people who are in same-sex relationships or have same-sex attraction, not even necessarily even in same-sex relationships, but even have same-sex attraction? What, what, is, what, is the, what is the pushback? What is the, the fear of, of the Christian community at large with the homosexual community? Yeah, so <laughs> this is quite a big conversation, and um, I just want to acknowledge that before I start, that um, that depending upon your upbringing and your faith tradition, you have likely um, experienced different teachings on this, but I would say in the evangelical church in general, you've probably experienced a teaching that speaks highly of God's judgment for this specific community, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so to begin, I think the biggest thing is that what we don't know, we fear. Does that make sense? And, and here's actually a really good way of putting that. If you can go back to March, if you just in your mind, go back to March, 2020, and you think about the first time we started hearing about COVID, we knew very little about the virus at that time. We didn't have time to study it. We didn't have time to know much about it. Now, look, there's a, there's a healthy fear of like, oh, wow, this is a pandemic and it's spreading like wildfire. Um, but there's even a larger fear when you don't know about like any scientific studies on it, anything that's been like done that we would have any indication of like, oh, wow, like when it spreads to babies, they die immediately. Like we don't know that data yet because we haven't seen it, right? Um, so you fear what you don't know. And as we've come to know COVID, we still have a healthy fear, but we begin to know where we're most vulnerable. Oh, masks help. Oh, things like this help things over. Okay. If we do this, if we, if we stay distant, these things, and you begin to say, okay, I'm starting to understand this and therefore I'm not as afraid. I might be more aware, but I'm not as afraid. I would say the church for a long time has so insulated themselves. And when I say the church, I'm speaking in generalities. This might not be your church. This might not be your church experience. Um, but the church for in general for a long time has um, isolated and insulated themselves from the LGBT community by pretty much just not being in relationship with them in any capacity um, and or hardly any capacity outside of the capacity of judgment or saying you need to change to be here. Um, Certainly not unconditional love. That wouldn't be the experience of the LGBT community from the church historically. And so that lack of relationship leads to fear because you don't understand that person's perspective. You haven't heard where they're coming from. You don't know what their experience is. So you don't hear the stories. For example, someone can say homeless people are just lazy. Okay. How many homeless people do you know? You probably don't know many homeless people. Because usually in my experience, being in relationship with many homeless people, there's an element of mental health challenges. There's an element of um, family abandonment or lack of connection to a community that 
ultimately there were times where in college where if I didn't have my parents support, I wouldn't have been able to make it as an adult. You know what I mean? I don't know if I would have been able to pay rent if my parents didn't send me that check while I was a 20 year old at college, you know, like things like that, that they didn't have the, the, the background, the safety net, if you will, that many of us have through our families or through our, you know, outside of our families. So um, you begin to see that it's a broader picture. Now that's not to say there's not lazy homeless people. I'm just saying when you say all homeless people are lazy, it's usually coming from a place of a lack of a relationship. So I would say the church for a long time has spoken from a place that lacks relationship. And that's disappointing because Jesus always spoke from a place that was connected and in relationship with the people that he was even critiquing. Very, very important. Very, very important. So my first challenge to anyone, wherever they are, before I even answer the question you asked is to say, Whatever, wherever you land on this, you need to be in relationship with the people that you're judging, that you're critiquing, that you believe the Bible's speaking a certain way about, whether that's including or excluding. You should be in relationship with people um, of different experiences, different orientations, different skin colors, different um, origins of country. Like these open you up to the diversity of the kingdom instead of insulating you to just one you know, whether that's a heteronormative experience or a white experience or, you know, a non-immigrant experience, whatever that is, um, we should seek to see the kingdom for what it is, which is very diverse. We're, we're told all nations will be worshiping in heaven together. And so there's this, this image of, of us being a diverse community. So, okay, now to the question. I personally believe uh, that uh, LGBT Q plus individuals are invited into the kingdom just like anybody else. Um, I think it's interesting the passage you just quoted because we tend to see the sin of, you know, we call it a sin, homosexuality um, uh, as a black and white, one size fits all sin. But then when we throw in that same passage, greed, um, as we live in a capitalistic society, if I told you Jeff Bezos can't be a Christian, you would say, why not? He could be a Christian. You could have billions and millions of dollars and be a Christian. And I would say, well, no, that passage is clear. He can't. What's interesting is we don't have a conflict with money. We don't, we just don't because we're taught in an American culture and in a Western Christianity that, uh, you know, having money, being wealthy is almost a picture of God blessing you, not a picture of greed. Um, and then it becomes this like, very ambiguous, like, well, if your heart is in it for the money and it's like, of course, Bezos is in it for the money. What do you think? Like, and I, I don't know, Bezos, I'm not trying to pick on Bezos. I'm just saying any millionaire, billionaire, they're, they're checking their books. They're, they're, they're good businessmen in the sense of, you know, um, being at, in it for the money. That's, you know, what I guess I would say is I would say we tend to make these very complicated matters of the heart, um, black and white. I would say you could take someone who's greedy, um, and place them on a path to where they they gain some self-awareness of that and they gain some understanding they maybe even consider changing some behaviors or some habits but defining what greed is is really hard frank do you have two cars at your house do you have two cars i do my wife okay. has one and i have one okay Sa same with me i have one my wife has one so so i think it's something like we're in the top eight percent of the world in car owners. Like, there's not many people in the world who own two cars. I'm incredibly wealthy. When you 
think about the fact that I have two cars. Like it's wild when you gain a more world, you know, a vision for the world and a vision of where you stand on the world. And you say, well, that's not greed. That's just the way it is that I have to live here. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, that's, that sounds like you're kind of explaining away uh, a chasing of treasures, a chasing of wealth. And by the way, this isn't me critiquing you. If you're listening to this and you're wealthy, I'm critiquing the church's desire to emphasize the, uh, the passage here and what it says about sexual immorality, but de-emphasize what it says about a love of money, greed, consumption. Jesus is consistently critiquing those things. And those are consistent throughout the letters of Paul, but we don't emphasize those as much ultimately because we understand the push and pull and the tension of money. We understand it. We're living it. And we're, 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 we're in community with people who are struggling with, um, should I make that purchase? Should I not? Is that purchase glorifying God? Is that purchase not? Um, at what point am I able to enjoy the blessings of life? And at what point is that greed? That's a hard line. Um, now, imagine being a 13-year-old boy who's at a school uh, in rural Wisconsin, where most of the people pull up to, you know, junior high or high school with, uh, with Confederate flags on the back of their truck, because we're about as far up North as you can get, but there's, that's their mindset. You know what I mean? Um, that's where I did ministry. Um, and that's where I had a young boy in my youth group come to me and say, um, I'm gay. Does God hate me? Um, and what I learned really fast as a young youth pastor was no one would choose this in this context. There is nothing to be gained from the bullying that that particular child endured, from the exclusion that that child endured. From just a simple survivalistic standpoint, there's no reason that anyone would make that choice. Um, and uh, you look at the suicide rates in the LGBTQ plus community, especially the transgender community right now, and you just feel a level, I would hope the church feels a level of heartache for the lack of belonging and the lack of community that these individuals experience. And so I think when we start from there, we begin to say, okay, so just like greed is complex, maybe this is complex too. And we need to like take some time to process these passages that we've been handed. Um, I mean, I could keep going. One other thing I think is really important is that if your Bible says the word homosexuality in it or homosexual in it, um, that was translated like that in 1946. Um, it had never been translated into homosexuality from the Greek before uh, 1946. And then once it was, it was adopted by a bunch of other, um, other uh, versions. Um, it's very unlikely that anyone in the New Testament just, and by the way, I have two Bible degrees, so I'm speaking not, I, I'm always cautious to say I'm an expert because there's people who are far more expert at Greek and Hebrew than I am. But I guess what I would say is, I, I, I'm paying the student loans to tell you that I've taken classes in this. And, uh, and what I would say is um, uh, the Greek is never addressing loving monogamous same-sex relationships. It, it, it's, that is not a concept that existed in the first century, what we are seeing now um, to loving monogamous same-sex relationships. For example, in Romans 1, 
it's odd that Paul opens up Romans, the first chapter, addressing sexuality the way he does. Um, but it's very likely that he's speaking to the pederasty that exists in Rome, which is older men raping younger boys. These are older men who had wives who were raping boys as a source of power. You can literally go Google it. It'll pop up on Wikipedia pederasty. You can look into it. It was a real thing in the ancient world. It was messed up. Um, and just like you or I would call out um, someone raping someone in any case, whether that's heterosexual or in this particular case, same sex rape. Um, Paul seems to be addressing that. But when we read it through 21st century lenses, we think we apply it to loving monogamous same sex relationships. And I say, maybe Paul would, but he's not in the case that what he's saying, does that make sense? Like that particular passage uh, is not. Um, and then when we look at the whole of Bible and I'll end here and let you kind of talk a little bit, Frank, and tell me where you're going with this. Cause I know we probably have different perspectives. Um, probably just really quick, important to note that I've spent many years studying this particular intersection of theology and sexuality, just as my experiences in pastoral ministry have, have kind of forced me to do so. And, and ultimately um, led me into relationship with a lot of people who are LGBT Christians. But when we look at the whole of scripture, I was always taught um, the Bible's clear about what marriage is. The Bible's clear about what marriage is. And when you look at the Bible, we actually see like, there's actually a lot of people who are having very different kinds of marriages than we're okay with today. And God is actively blessing them and in relationship with them while they have multiple wives and concubines while they, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to say, we don't necessarily see a blessing of God on same sex relationships in, in the scriptures, but we certainly see a blessing of God on people who are in sexual relationships that we would not find um, being monogamous um, or one man, one woman. Uh, and I'm not trying to say we read the book Bible like a flat book where we just pull out this passage over here and we say, well, that's on par with this over here. Cause I do think there is an order in which we should understand the scriptures, but, but I am trying to say the Bible isn't always clear when we see God blessing people who are what we would call today outside of God's design churches might say it like that. Right. Um, it seems like, I wonder if, God could be blessing people now, certainly inviting them into the kingdom in my perspective, because I think the kingdom is for sinners. Um, and so, uh, so, so whether those people are in sin or not, that's not for me uh, a barrier to entry. Um, I look at the disciples three years following Jesus and they're consistently sinning as they're following and they're consistently missing the, the mark. And I assume I am as well. And uh uh, that's not to just say, well, we let anything go and we don't address sin. It's just to say we should be very cautious when a whole community has experienced God a certain way because the church is afraid of them. That's kind of where I'm at with it. My man, that's the way you flex on them because that's a pastor right there. You say, I got two degrees. So basically you're not qualified to come in and, and come after me. <laughs> Now, fortunately, I do the editing so I can make myself sound better. <laughs> um, but the, tr the the thing is, thank you for that. I, I, one thing I also want to say is thank you for just coming in these difficult conversations and not just rushing in to say, well, here's what I think. Um, 
you you have the perspective when you respond in all these podcasts, like I say, even this this podcast and the other podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, other major podcast platforms. Please rate us, give us five stars because he's got two degrees. My <laughs> my, my thing is, you come with the perspective of someone who has listened. You can hear it in your response. So many of us. I spoke to my uncle last night. He's he's um I think he's got to be at least eighty, or close close to it, and um. He kept saying to me last night, just randomly, I hadn't spoken to him in a long time. He said, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak. And I was like, mm-hmm. he was like, you need to be that way. And when you do that over time, it changes how you respond to situations. Mm-hmm. Because when you're always just saying what you know, when you hear something you don't like, you just rebut it immediately. And you close off a chance, like you said, have a relationship. One of the things that I will say before I get into what I think, I will say this, I will say that God has not wanted anyone to perish. So the idea that people, we, we cast people who have, you know, say been born with, with, with the same sex attraction as being instruments of destruction, unless even the message has been preached. Um, I think that is very dangerous because now you're saying that, that God has just ordained some people not who, who, who could want to seek him, not to seek him. Don't even worry about it. You're just already ruined right people go back to jeremiah and say look they're a ruined you know jar of clay or ruined you know i'm the potter i think my 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 thing is people misinterpret that too i think as guys saying i'm pretty much in control and do what i want but i I think for me i do believe that people who are in same-sex marriages and relationships are in the kingdom the thing i've been struggling with is is there a deliverance point for them if they say they're in the kingdom. That's where I've always struggled with. And before I get into, I'll, I'll get into where I was and I'll get into where I, I think I might be going. So in 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 my my thought was, okay, you got Jesus, if anything, he hangs out with the sinners. So mm-hmm. even if you think that homosexuality is the sin of all sins, which is a mistake when you read that passage. Like you said, there's drunkards. I do- there's all kinds of people in there. Every actually, everybody's in there. If you, if, <laughs> you know, if you want to, but we read it in a way that's like homosexual somehow gets highlighted. But going back to that, God would be hanging out with if homosexuality was the chief sin. That's where God would be. God would be in the gay clubs, the gay strip clubs. He would be there. He wouldn't be throwing no ones, mm-hmm. but he would be preaching. He would be saying, "Look." Here's 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 what here's what's going on. So with that understanding, yes, they could definitely be into the kingdom. There's no way that he wouldn't go after them. He would go after the furthest. He you know he would do that. Mm-hmm. The thing that I struggle with, this is me personally, was well, okay. You're in the kingdom now. Do you when when does either either you are celibate or you now how do you come out of your engaging in sex because maybe sex isn't for you right or maybe you know sex only between a man and woman so maybe it's not for you maybe you can't mm-hmm. engage in that and you mm-hmm. need to come out of that at some point is there a deliverance point that comes for you to where you either become heterosexual or, or asexual right mm-hmm. that's where i was that's where i had been thinking okay yes the desire may not change but maybe that does maybe you just don't engage in that relationship or engage in that so this was and the funny thing is, is how, this is how amazing God is because we, we we were going to probably do this episode like a month ago and things happened and we didn't do it. We pushed it and we're recording now. Um, and, and and so the reason why I say it's interesting is because I came across an interview 
and a Bridget with a woman, a young lady, Bridget Eileen Rivera on, on another channel, a gentleman named Justin Coe. And Bridget Eileen, if you're listening to this, I'd love for you to come on, on this podcast. I've already sent you an email. So I'm coming, <laughs> you know, I, and, and I heard what you said about not wanting to be a token. I totally get that. I, I just want to have more understanding. But, but basically having, listening to her conversation, she is someone who's described as lesbian, uh, celibate, um, Christian. Now, and, and, and the thing that got me was at first I was like, okay, well, she's, she's, you know, celibate. So she's good. She was like, but I didn't arrive at being celibate because of what, you know, would make people feel good. This is where I am. This is where I am personally. This is where God put me. And then she said something that we had talked about prior to that, which is, I know many same sex couples that are being blessed. The fruit of what they have is, is produced, is, 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 is amazing. And God is with them. And, and, and people would have, and, and I would tell you, if you said that a month ago, my mind, my head might have exploded, but it's just like, and you got to look at it. It's like, well, who, how do you know who God is with and who he's, who he's not with? How can we make these statements? And I think we've just normalized the way homosexuality is the same way. Sometimes white people normalize the struggle of black people. Now, I, I don't think they're quite exactly the same because I don't think they are. But I, what I'm saying is you can normalize the discrimination and, 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 yep. and everybody so co-signs with it. How many pastors can get up and easily go in front of congregation? And no, Adam and Eve, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Ha ha, you know, that's like an icebreaker. That's like a mm -hmm. church icebreaker, right? Like, um, you know, we we hate the uh, we hate the sin. We love the person, we hate the sin. Mm -hmm. um, all those kind of things. We don't say that about any other thing. If somebody's struggling with alcoholism or drug abuse, we don't say, we just say, Lord, lift them up, you know, heal them from this addiction. We don't say we hate, the sin we love you know we love the we love you know hate the um love the sin or hate the sin we use yeah. this different type of coded language against people who are who are in the lgbtq community and i think that for me what i what i need to do what and what and what the bridget eileen rivera talks about very well and you can see her she's on the tra at traveling nun on twitter and she's also at, at bridget eileen rivera on instagram one of the things that she challenged me and was saying is a lot of people don't even read the, like you said, you've read a lot of information. Most people haven't read anything. They've read a few passages, listened to a couple of sermons, and then they've said, that's what they agree with. They've reinforced what they agree with. The thing that Bridget did was challenge my understanding and say, I didn't hear this before. I got to think differently. Am I going to just reject it? And so it's like, as Christians, are we going to reject different viewpoints that doesn't mean you always change your mind but what i'm saying is if you just outright reject the viewpoint that's different of something else you'll never come in relationship with the people that, that, can, that you're really supposed to you can never change the world you want to you want to do all this you want to go on mission you want to change the world but you don't want to engage people that need the most help like you're 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 a hypocrite in your own self like you don't even know what god wants you to do it's like god may want you to be in community with people the very people that you are condemning and if you spend your whole life condemning them, you might miss a whole opportunity for ministry. So mm. I, I just I just think for me, I had a, an eye-opening moment where it's like, you can be saved and, and you can still be wrong and you can still not have every understanding about everything and how God works. In fact, it would be a shame if we knew how God worked from the Bible because then he wouldn't be God. He'd be like all the other religious figures. He'd be like Confucius, Buddha, um, Muhammad, all these other people who's can be caged into a, a written word, written pictures, but 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 God is it, the Bible. And this is something I learned from Pastor John Howard Wesley of Alfred Baptist Church: is the Bible is only the sufficient knowledge of the revelation of God that man has. It is not the exhaustive knowledge of who God is. That would be impossible. Mm. 
right? Yeah. Just as John wrote, and all the things that God did, all miracles wouldn't be able to be contained in all the books that exist in the world today. I think that's still relevant even now with all the books that have been written, right? Even with his understanding. But what I'm saying by that is the breadth of who God is, the unseen, created the seen. How could the seen ever document the unseen completely? That doesn't even make sense. How could the lesser realm completely encapsulate the, the, the greater realm? So I'm just challenging myself in this year. I challenge everybody else listening to this to we don't, I don't care if you don't agree with what we said about it or if they're in the kingdom, but you need to make sure you go read something on the other side of where you are mm. and need to pray about it. And then if you get, if you're there, then you're there, right? Everybody's not going to agree on everything, but we got to stop saying this is this, mm. this is, this is this, and this is, and this is, and this is just something we have to work on. So yeah, thank you. Thank so, you. Right. So let, let me add to that. Like, so right now at the belong collective, as we start a new year, we're actually uh, kicking off a series called reset where we're just saying, hey, let's go back to the starting line on some of these different topics. And let's just say, hey, let's, let's, let's start off from the starting line again and see if we missed anything along the way. Maybe there was some, a turn we missed along the way that got us where we are today uh, as we were studying a particular topic or as we were thinking about our view of God. Or maybe someone literally picked us up and carried us to this other place. But ultimately, that's not the path God wants us on, on a particular way of seeing things theologically or scripturally. I think it's valuable to, to reset, not to reset and say everything I've learned is wrong, but just to go back over everything I've learned with a newer lens. Look, when I was eight years old learning about the Bible, it was very easy for it to be black and white because an eight-year-old doesn't have room for nuance, doesn't have room for mystery. Like you were just saying, God is so incredibly uh, unknowable. God is knowable and unknowable. It's this like paradox, right? Like we get to know God, but ultimately we don't know God. Like there's so much more that we don't know. And so embracing this, this, you know, process of saying, I'm willing to reset on this issue. That's not me saying I'm not holding to what I hold to now. If you believe what you hold to is truth, then that's it. That's fine. Just go back to the starting line and say, I want to go through these truths that I hold and see if like the people who led me down this path were in relationship with people. We're actually reading theologians who weren't them and just in their camp, you know, actually had a love and care and concern to love their neighbor as themselves. How would they want to be loved if they were going through what a 13 year old boy must go through having feelings of attraction toward the same sex? Like that's a difficult thing, right? That's a, that's something that I would hope the church would express love and inclusion toward not exclusion and judgment. And so this is where I think we can go back to the starting line and maybe even not change our theological perspective, but change the way in which we act on that, think about that, talk about that, believe about that. I think, um, you know, a pastor, for example, like you described that gets on stage and says, Adam and Steve, or, you know, it's not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve. It's like, there's part of me that just wants to pull that pastor and be like, okay, so let me have you sit down with a, a, a gay man. And let, let, I just want you to hear a story. Just want you to hear a story from, from all the times that the church he, when he came into church and heard a pastor say that and the way that made him feel and the fact that he thought God didn't love him, the fact that he had to ask his youth pastor whether or not God made a mistake when he made him 
or whether or not God loved him. Like the fact that that student at 13 is asking that question, like overwhelmingly shows the failure of the church and the failure of us to go back to the starting line and reconsider how our theology at the very least is an action. And so I think there's value in saying, I'm willing to reset. I'm willing to consider that I might have some things that need deconstructed and reconstructed a little bit differently. The other thing I would say is I, I want to echo everything you said, educate yourself, read a book, listen to a podcast. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to plug my own podcast, but I have interviewed a lot of LGBT individuals on Beyond Boundaries. So if you want to check that out, but two books that I highly recommend that were very formative for me personally are God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines and a book called Torn by Justin Lee. These are both gay men who are also Christians. And Matthew Vines, especially if you're interested in the Bible, uh, Matthew and his dad uh, went through uh, like an entire like study of the scriptures on each and every passage. And it's very um, theological slash hermeneutic. Like if you're, if you're thinking about your view of the scriptures and your view of the Bible and your interpretation, it's really helpful for you to realize, wow, there's a broader conversation here. Um, then at least it's more nuanced than I had been handed this conversation. The other thing is be in relationship with LGBT people and especially be in relationship with LGBT Christians. They exist. They're around you. You may not know it, but like find them. Um, and then um, I think finally, the one thing I would say from what you said is like, when you talk about celibacy, I think it's important that like in scripture, when we see celibacy, it's always a choice made by the individual, never, never something that's put on the individual. It's a choice made by the individual. Um, that's not to say that there's not a different level of spirituality or I'm not trying to say like they're higher spiritually than anyone else, but I guess I'm saying like, there's certainly a connectedness you can find when when you can um, have that freedom, if you will. But I would also say um, there's also a loneliness in celibacy. That's not to say people who are celibate can't also have intimate relationships of, of friendships that are tight and that of other community uh, connectedness that's real and um, they can't you know, have family in essence. It's just to say that's a choice that someone makes. We don't see it modeled anywhere in scripture where it's forced on somebody. Um, if anything, I could tell you that sharing your resources with your church community in a selling your house and giving it to the church, that's more going to, that I could scripturally argue that was forced on the early church more so than, than like celibacy. So, so just be, be cautious to say the quick fix here is for me to force celibacy on someone who's gay. Um, I think the, 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 you don't have the quick fix. You're, you're like you said, I need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And the spirit needs to move here. And the spirit may have a different answer for this person than the next person who's LGBT. And we, we love a one size fits all answer. And what that led to, which is really important when you understand the history of the church on this, it led to conversion therapy or gay reparative therapy, which is this, you know, brand of spiritual, healing that existed where uh, gay people were told they could be healed from their um, homosexuality, their, you know, their same-sex attraction. The amount of suicide that exists in the conversion therapy community is abhorrent. Like, and I've talked to people who have been in that world and who uh, have experienced 
I've t- I talked to somebody who has a disability and when they went to a counselor or no, to a pastor, they begged that the pastor would pray for their healing of their sexual attraction and was not even worried about their disability because for them being a Christian and being in a, in a conservative Christian household, I guess I'm just trying to say some of the stories and some of the ways that we've created around reparative therapy, um, conversion therapy, it's no wonder it's being outlawed in States now because of how the damage that it's done. If you want to watch a good movie about it, there's a movie called boy erased. It's graphic. I'm not encouraging you to watch it. I'm just saying, if you want to see the real pain and struggle of actual people who have been down that road. Um, and uh, there's many uh, YouTube online of, you can look at, um, I want to say it was uh, Exodus international. Um, and you can hear some of the stories as they close their doors they actually had former people come in and share about their experience who had been through that program. And it is uh, pretty heartbreaking. And this is where I think our posture of listening and loving, um, you know, the highest, the highest law is love. Um, they'll know we're Christians by our love, um, not by our judgment, not by our rules, not by our right theology, Listen, you're going to have so many things when you, when you like meet God, you're going to have so many things theologically that you were wrong about. So many. Um, I know I'm going to have so many and I'm a pastor and I've committed to studying the Bible and studying God. Like, so, and I know for a fact, I'm going to have so many wrong. I don't think God is going to judge us for our wrong theologies as much as he's going to judge us for missed opportunities to love our neighbor as ourself. And so that's the law. That's the high calling for us. And so Let's default to that when we're in these unknown areas of difficulty. That's, that's my hope that the church would, would, would consider that posture at the least. Amen, man. Um, that was really good. I'm just going to add a couple things before we, yeah. you know, get out of here. One is you mentioned the suicide rate. The suicide rate is, is, is higher for those who are in, in supposed to be in Christ who are LGBT higher than any other say, like when you, a lot of times in faith, suicide ideation goes down, but with mm-hmm. LGBTQ and Christians, it's actually higher. Yep. Because we've created this cognitive dissonance, which is like, you're not really in a kingdom. Wait, no, I am. I love myself. I hate myself. And, and they and, and they just can't exist that way. Um, and, and so the other thing you said is um, about being lonely. One of the things that the um, young, young, young woman, Bridget Eileen Rivera, speaks about is she has a platonic queer um, friendship with, with, a, with another woman. And she was explaining that a lot of people don't understand that marriage is not the only way to have intimacy. You can have somebody who provides that because a lot of times we, you don't listen. Like, remember how he says the Sadducees, you are deceived. You, you are an error about scripture. He said they are not like man, they're not like male and female. They'll be like spirit. And so there's an intimacy that we're going to have when you think about eternally. We're not going to be male and female. We're not going to be whose wife is that, whose girl was she, right? You're not going to have that kind of possession over people. So the idea of of sex and, 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 and not just sex, but gender, I don't want to conflate, conflate the terms, but sex and gender are not eternal issues for God. Mm-hmm. They are things that we are now put on earth to be able to, you know, bring forth the species, so to speak, and have, you know, you know, defined, you know, things that maybe they, they can be geared toward or whatever, but 
they're not eternal things. So the fact that we don't need to make temporal things eternal stumbling blocks. And mm. I think um, that's something that I'm going to have to really work on. And this shows me as, as I study more, and I haven't studied anywhere here as much as you don't have any degrees. Um, but I'll say that you've got to be willing to, to, to learn every day, die to self every day, learn. And so we just want, I just want to kind of leave with that and say, yeah. again, we go and say like, again, visit defundthechurch.com. You know, everything should be done in love. There, there's a lot of things out there. Um, obviously, our, our, you know, the core thing with Pastor Justin's mission was, hey, racial reconciliation, racial in, injustice happening in the church. But this is all part of this is all part of the same sin pattern we keep seeing. These these are all going to lead to the same thing, which is a lack of love and empathy, a lack of loving our neighbors as ourselves. We keep seeing it over and over again. And so, just you know, when we, when we, when we I just hope that, and I pray that. You heard what Pastor Justin said. You heard what I said, and that you walk out of this or walk from away from this podcast, saying, "You know what? Maybe I'm not ready to even read those books. Maybe I'm not even ready to look at those scriptures." But know that that you may not have all the answers, and 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 that will be the seed to grow into a new understanding that God will put you in the place He wants you to. So, I just want to leave you with that. Um, again, listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all the major podcast platforms. We do appreciate a five star rating leave a review. Uh, again, we just thank you for listening. Uh, we could not do the show without you. We thank you for, for your support. Um, and we love you. And um, we hope to see you guys again very soon on another episode of Defund the Church. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and other major podcast platforms. And also, don't forget to visit defundthechurch.com where you can find news and information on how to support this movement and rebuild the kingdom.